Hello, listeners, and welcome to a new episode of FF Plus, your spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews and more. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me, as usual, is Coles. Good afternoon. Hello, my friend. We have a couple new movies to talk about today, this week. Always, we have a new Netflix movie, it seems. <laughs> it's like the norm. Netflix is great for film review podcasts because they just pump content out every single week without fault. So if you have nothing to review, you can just be like, hey, Netflix, you know, give me the new Princess Diaries movie or whatever the heck. And then we have a film that we actually had the opportunity to go see in person for one of the first times in a long, long time. There was an actual screening for this one. And I don't think either one of us made it to that, but we did get a chance to still catch a screener copy of Spiral, the newest film in the Saw franchise starring Chris Rock. Yes, that's right, Chris Rock. But we'll get to that later. We're going to start with the Netflix film, and that is The Woman in the Window. This stars Amy Adams, Gary Oldman, Anthony Mackie, Fred Hetchinger, Wyatt Russell, Brian Tyree Henry, Tracy Letts, Jennifer Jason Lee, and Julianne Moore. Yes, you heard that right. I said Anthony Mackie and Wyatt Russell, a.k.a. <laughs> Falcon and the Winter Soldier. They don't interact in this movie, unfortunately. And Anthony Mackie saying he's in it is a stretch, but it's a, it's a little bit of a different role for him. Anyway, it is directed by Joe Wright, and it is adapted by Tracy Letts, based on the novel by A.J. Finn. What's it about? Confined by her agoraphobia, Anna Fox finds herself keeping tabs on the new family across the street through the windows of her New York City home. After witnessing a brutal crime, secrets begin to unravel, and nothing and no one are quite what they seem. So, Coles, before we get started here with our thoughts, my first question for you is, have you read the book? No, I have not. So did you know that this was based on a book going into it? Had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a very well-regarded novel. It was a New York Times bestseller, which that's a whole other conversation to have. But I feel like every book that comes out feels like it at one point, oh, this was a New York Times. How many New York Times bestsellers can there be? You know, like I, it must be like a genre thing where there's, you know, if you're there for one week in one genre, then you get to call that tag for the rest of your existence or something. But yeah, it, it, it's in the vein of Gone Girl and The Girl mm -hmm. on the Train and a bunch of these like little mystery thrillers, uh, and, and I'm down for them. I, I really enjoy this kind of story, so I was kind of hyped to have this being adapted. Always like to see mysteries like this, adult thriller mysteries, and see how they can turn out. And with that being said, how did it turn out for you? Like, Let's start with what you liked about it. It's a foregone conclusion that any film that stars Amy Adams, Amy Adams is always going to be a plus. And she's a plus in this film. I'll get into more dislikes about how the story handled her character or the directing. But from her aspect, she really dives into this character. I mean, this character is suffering depression. They're having struggles with addiction. They have a phobia to where they're not able to go outside. And you can tell that Amy is like, she's really feeling this like, internal strife within her like there's a there's a battle with her past and there's her like always living in fear and you kind of sense that and the cinematography adds into this because that's another big plus for me is that 
it feels dark and dreary whenever we're in this house because the whole most of the movie takes place inside this house, which is almost another connection to Alfred Hitchcock's Weird Window, which there are more connections to that as we get into it. But the house is very spacious. It looks like it's a very nice house. Like it looks like it costs like at least like a million dollars maybe to even like even live there. It's a very nice house. You're living in New York. It's so many rooms, big bedrooms, but it doesn't feel like a, a place the cinematography is trying to call attention to the nice parts of it. It feels like you were trapped in a dungeon and it's very dark and it's very weary. And sometimes even the rooms, as big as they are, they feel, they feel constrained, you know, according to the protagonist, to the character we're following. So I like that aspect. I also did like the first half. The first half does a good job of setting up to where it has the audience guessing like, is this, is this situation something going on just as an hallucination or is this something that's really happening? Like you're kind of stuck in a guessing game. You don't really know whether to see is Amy's character, is she serving through mental problems or is this really something happening and maybe we as the audience are not taking her reality as being too serious because there's so many things going wrong with her. And I really like that you're kind of in that guessing game for the first half of the film until it kind of goes off the rails in the second half but we'll get into that more later those three elements were what i took away the most as a like from this film all right well that's good i'm glad that you found some things to enjoy from it i feel like this is going to be a pretty divisive picture in a lot of ways i think anytime you are channeling hitchcock energy then there's a certain here's the thing I think the audiences are going to love it. I think that people who read the book are going to love the star power in a Netflix movie that is really well polished and I think has a lot of technical quality to it with no real question about that. And I think critics are probably going to hone in on like, oh, it's you're trying to do Hitchcock, you're trying to do De Palma, and they're going to point out a lot more of those flaws. So I'm, I actually personally approached it i find myself i'm siding with what i think is going to be more of the audience take away from this now a little history before i start so this was actually going to be released back in 2019 and what happened is it went into its test audience phase and it had left the audience members confused they were unsure about elements of the film and so they went back and they had to do reshoots because it's a pretty complex story or complex novel and Disney needed it to make sure that audiences were going to be able to follow right completely, which makes sense. And so they went back, they redid that and now they put it out. And I will say this, I didn't have any problem following the story. I thought that it was well executed in telling you and explaining to you who does what and what the situation is, you know, I mean, there's mystery to when things get revealed, but I didn't, I wasn't left confused. So I think they, they did a good job there. And people are going to compare this to rear window and to die. Is it dial M for murder? I think, uh, yeah, there's several Hitchcock films and De Palma. Like I mentioned, I think it has a lot of De Palma style in the way the cinematography works as well. Um, and, and that's intentional. I mean, Joe Wright is wanting to do that. For me, I loved the stylistic choices in the film. I felt like it was a modernized version of those two directors and the kind of work that they did in this genre. And I thought that it was really, 
flashy, polished, crisp, very nice cinematography choices that fit the psychological condition of the character and made sense for the type of mystery that we're in where she doesn't quite understand or necessarily trust her own mind. And as an audience, we have to be put into that position with the main character. Like we are supposed to start questioning her reality and what she believes is her truth in all of this. And I thought that they did, Joe Wright did a good job of capturing that. I love how the film introduces characters. There's quite a few of like little side characters that don't, nobody has a huge role. It really does revolve around Amy Adams and her, her main character, but the way they just kind of slide into her world, we don't have to like deal with a ton of backstory on each of these people. We just get to see them in relation to her and to her world, which is important because again, it's a story centered on her views and on her person and, and everything is with, her in mind other characters don't matter outside of her perception of them and how they affect her i thought that the performances were really good i think that they are what i would call intentionally and effectively exaggerated they are a bit over the top but it's every single one of them that goes over the top and so it's consistent and i think that it's meant to be that way. Again, I think that it's an intentional choice to kind of hone in on that psychological condition of the story that we're dealing with, that we're not quite really dealing with a normal reality. This isn't exactly how every single person might act in a true situation. I, you know, a fellow film critic from Seattle, uh, Calvin Kemp, one of our Seattle Film Critics Society members, we were talking about this, and he said in the book... Anna actually always is wondering if she's imagining something that didn't happen, and it's because she's watched so much Hitchcock. And and again, I think you can feel that here, and I think that that's important, and it's not a negative. To me, it's not, you're not doing Hitchcock wrong, or embarrassing Hitchcock by not being as good as Rear Window, or whatever. Like, people, we have to have new movies. <laughs> that, I mean, I thought we all wanted new movies, you know what I mean? And they're not going to all be perfect. But I think it does a great job of echoing some of the aspects of that genre and those films that we all enjoy. And the music, the sound design, rather, I think the sound design is outstanding. It's got a really, really strong use of noises and foley that elevate the tension and just everything about the way that, again, the kind of confused situation the character is dealing with. Um, so I, I liked a lot about this, honestly. I had a really, really good time watching it. Um, you know, and I'll get into my negatives. You know, it's not super memorable, I don't think. I don't find anything or any one element to be completely blowing me away where I would point to this like Gone Girl. It's not on that level as a whole. Uh, but I think that it is a really solid, enjoyable, upper-tier type home streaming Netflix release. Um, but what did you not like about it? I'll let you get going first. For one, why did they not use my boy Anthony Mackie enough in this film? Like, <laughs> I mean, they, his name shows up in the credits. I'm expecting him to have a substantial role, but most of the time... He's speaking lines 
but he's off screen. At different points throughout the film, Amy's character, Anna, seems to be having a conversation with Anthony Mackie. And it's it's like they're doing it over the phone or is she having these conversations in her head. And I'm expecting to see him. I'm expecting him to have a place in this film. But the only thing we get is a brief, like, three-minute flashback scene and that's it. I mean, I, I was expecting more from Anthony Mackie. And also, going back to your point, I know for you it may not be an issue, but... There were times where I could feel that Gary Oldman, you know, I love him as an actor, but I could tell he was going for it. He was definitely going for it. Like, the line where he's like, stay out of my house! Like, I could tell that he was definitely um, shooting for the moon on those. And while it may not be an issue for others, it's just kind of something that stuck out to me. Also, the second half, the ending just felt like a consolation prize. Like, all this build-up, all this mystery, I'm expecting a big bang. I'm expecting a big moment to where... Out, not as something as close to the sixth sense, but something that's like just blows me away, and it's like, wow, this movie led to this crazy, and you don't get that. You kind of just get, okay, the mystery solved, and boom, 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 and that's it. I'm not gonna spoil. I'm not gonna hand out any spoilers, but the ending just ends like on a puffer. It, it, it's not really anything substantial, and we're supposed to be kind of like cheering and feeling like good for this character and. I, I just don't get it. Um, maybe if I read the book, I probably could have a better understanding of how the story is supposed to be. And maybe I might have been more in tune with it. But me not reading the book, it kind of soured my experience on where the story was actually going to go. Because the first half starts off great. And then the second half kind of it gets into some cliches. And then it starts to feel kind of jumbled. And then you start getting some exposition here and there to kind of fill in the holes and everything. And I just didn't have that same desire that I had in the first half. The second half just kind of went out almost like a light. <laughs> um, overall, though, it's not enough to really teeter me off from having people see it. But for me, I know that this is something that I have no interest in going back to again. And that doesn't speak to this film being terrible. It just speaks to this film just being unremarkable and most of Hollywood these days is unremarkable. There's not much that's really going to get you out of the seat. Sometimes people are just wanting to hit the minimum, and that's it, and that's cool. But I'm not in this to just watch minimum films. I'm looking for something more, and the more never really captured me. That's fair. I think they're trying. I definitely think they're trying. I mean, they're throwing everything in the kitchen sink at this stylistically, trying to capture the essence of the book. And again, it's hard to adapt a book in which it allows you to experience different way of feeling that tension that a character is going through. And when you see it on screen, sometimes it just doesn't translate as well, frankly. And Amy Adams, her character, she is making choices that no normal person would make, right? Even a normal person who is dealing with massive depression from whatever her issues are, we know she's got a psychological issue that you know is causing this agoraphobia because she has a psychiatrist come over early on so we know she's got something some kind of trauma but even tra traumatized people don't make all the kind of weird like dumb decisions that she does right and so it's hard it's hard to like reconcile our need for a realistic story with this stylistic approach uh, and I think that it can get a little muddled, especially in the second half, like you're talking about. Um, and I get that. I, I totally understand what you're saying. The ending, you know, the ultimate reveals and the, the way the story 
goes. I think I like it better than you do. I, I, it doesn't bother me. It's kind of wrapped up pretty simply, though. It, it's, it's, I think it's probably, can't talk. It is partially because of the fact that the film is all taking place in the single kind of setting. So we're not moving from location to location. So, you know, it all feels like, oh, we were in this house and then the ending happened in the house and then the, it's all over in the house and it just, it's done. So I feel that as well. Um, yeah, for me, it's mostly really good. I like it a lot. I just don't, I agree with you though, that it is not remarkable in any specific way that is going to make you need to go back and rewatch it. So it, it needed something to be special in order to do that, and it doesn't ever hit that note. With that being said, I definitely say see it. I like it enough to recommend it. I think that people will enjoy it immensely, even if they never watch it again. I really do, like I said, feel like it is darn near perfect type of movie to hit Netflix's platform, and I think that audiences are going to pretty much be satisfied with it. Um, what, do you, what about you? I'm feeling it, but it's a soft feeling it. It's good enough that I can say, hey, if you have nothing else to really watch, then definitely give this a try. But otherwise, if you have other options, then I would definitely put those over this. That's fair. Well, we'll have to find out what you think about it compared to our next film that we're going to talk about. And, <laughs> oh, give away. Give it away, huh? Give it away with that, that reaction. Uh, so, <laughs> the next film is called Spiral from the Book of Saw. I don't know. It, it has some subtitle or something, but we're calling it Spiral. <laughs> it stars Chris Rock, Max Minghella, Marisol Nichols, Samuel L. Jackson, and Zoe Palmer. It is directed by Darren Lynn Boosman. It is written by Josh Stolberg and Pete Goldfinger based on a story by Chris Rock, who famously pitched this to, I believe it's Lionsgate, uh, saying that he had this great idea for a new installment that would reinvigorate this lengthy running franchise and bring something new and modern to the fold, and, and that he wanted to star in it. What's it about? Working in the shadow of his father, Detective Ezekiel Zeke Banks, and his rookie partner, take charge of an investigation into grisly murders that are eerily reminiscent of the city's gruesome past. Unwittingly entrapped in a deepening mystery, Zeke finds himself at the center of the killer's morbid game. Okay, Coles, well, get us started with what you liked first, and also, do you have history with the Saw franchise? You should probably tell us that, too. I did a lengthy watch of the Saw series last December, and it was fascinating to say the least there were a few of them that i love very much and there were others where i could really care less to see them again but the one thing that you got from the series is that these films teach you about the appreciation of life being grateful and thankful for us being able to breathe every day and that's the object of the jizzlock killer i mean it's demented it's macabre and it's kind of sadistic but his games in every film, there was something interesting and appealing about seeing these characters trying to think their way out of this game, trying to fight to survive, like doing whatever they can to make it out of this trap. And also getting a nice bit of social commentary. Um, in this film, the one thing I can say that I do like, the 
this is kind of a case of where I can I can like the intent and not like the execution. But I do like that they did try to address the whole reform the police argument that we're having now. Um, last year with the um, death of George Floyd, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, it started being calls for defund the police. And that's been a controversial topic behind both party lines. And I like that the film kind of addresses that. It, it, you know, it focuses on Detective, um, his name is... Chris Ryder, he's a detective in the um, police department, and there's a scourge of like crooked cops and just illegal activity that's played this police department. And then you have this mysterious new, could be a copycat, could be Jigsaw, who knows, but it's a mysterious killer who's going around and teaching lessons to these cops who have operated outside of the law. And I can see for people that this is going to be something that they're going to get behind. I can see people even being like, okay, you know what? I actually side with the killer, <laughs> you know, and we, we got that a little bit from the Saw series and from the older films as well, especially in like the last few ones that were made before they did this huge, this whole new direction. So I do appreciate that they tried to make it modern with that, you know, commentary and Chris Rock. Um, I would say that his funny moments were a highlight for me. I mean, Chris Rock, you know, he's one of the best stand-up guys that we've had in the last 25 years. So if you're going to get him in a film, you know he's going to come through with some comedy bits. And there are some good genuine good genuine ones. And there are some other ones that will fall right into my dislikes. Uh, other than that, I really find it hard to say anything else is good about this film because I got plenty of bad to say. And <laughs> it's disappointing that I have to say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have not seen the series on the whole. I have no real interest to. I've seen the first one, and my tolerance of the first one lies in the fact that I enjoy the psychological problem that is being presented in the first one. And let you laid it out actually perfectly. The idea of seeing characters try to think their way out of their situation and figure out how to live essentially um and then not and, and then trying to simultaneously figure out why the game is even taking place right so i have not felt the need to continue going forward because i know that the series definitely amps up the gore it gets really convoluted and those are not the things that i enjoy so i was actually reluctant coming to this because of the potential for gore I'd heard, oh, they're going to go a little less heavy on that. Um, I I'm going to put this in a like. I'm going to say I like the fact that it's not over-the-top gore, in my opinion. I've seen worse. I was able to get through it. I absolutely love the trap construction in this film, the actual engineering of the different ways in which people are stuck and have to make these decisions to get out of that's different than saying i enjoy them trying to think their way out of the problem but i do like the fact that they are made in a way that is very specific to each character individually and what it is that the killer is trying to highlight as something that they needs to be reformed within that person and it ties into their body parts in different ways. And so I just really enjoyed the creativity involved in the creation of the traps. I also, I liked the overall vibe of this film. I'd heard that they were going to go with more of like a seven vibe and that I enjoyed that 
kind of seedy, it feels like a late 90s kind of crime, dark drama, you know, thriller, almost to a T, like to the point where, you know, it's Chris Rock with this new partner who's coming in as a rookie to help him along. And there's, you know, packages with boxes and body parts showing up, just like in other movies that I just mentioned. Sorry, uh, if you haven't seen Seven, then yeah, that's on you. Uh, and anyway, and so, you know, I, like, I enjoyed those aspects and that kind of just general flow of the film. And then I will say this, I absolutely love the finale as it was going for a little bit. So when the finale starts, I'll say that, like, when the killer becomes revealed, I thought the way in which the finale and confrontation kind of plays out was outstanding. And I was really, really into it. And if only it would have kept going. I can't, like, I have to cut my like off because there's a point of time where it stops and becomes a dislike. But for the most part, I really thought the finale had something good going for it. And like you, I, I did like the reform the police angle and just in general, the concept here. I, I'm with you. I think people are going to side with the killer for sure. I think that might say a lot about the people who do, and they need to check themselves probably, but, you know, there's a right way and a wrong way to get justice, I guess is what I would personally believe, but I understand where people would be coming from, and I think that that's fascinating, since it's worth any movie that it brings up that conversation, it has value, I guess, is what I'm saying, um, because it makes us talk about it and consider it in context of our actual real lives and real world as it is today so all right you said you didn't like it i'll let you fire away and then i'll just say yeah i agree with that that and that and we'll be done so the horse that keeps getting kicked about this film before we saw it was that it was going to be something new it was going to be a new take on the saw series and that things were going to be different and that the psychological aspects were going to be heightened up and the gore was going to be less this feels like the one of the the worst quality of a Saw film to me. I, I don't see anything new in this film. Actually, some of it actually kind of made me sick. There is there is a part in this film where this lady has a choice whether to get her face burned off or sever her spinal cord and be paralyzed for the rest of her life. And for me, part of what made the Saw series so, so unique was that you could tell Jigsaw, yes, he's going to put you in these situations where physical disfigurement is probably an absolute and you're going to end up losing something. But you know what? You still got a chance to do something with your life without being so handicapped. I mean, in the later films, it definitely gets to the point where there's torture porn and, you know, people are just losing limbs and gore. And just, it's just there just to be there. But there was a point with it. There was Jigsaw was teaching people that you know, you've been wasting your life so far. You know, you haven't been doing much with it or you've been causing a lot of trouble. And this is a chance for you to save your life. This is a chance for you to get on a new path, to be reborn, so to speak. And while I say, once again, it's very sadistic and it's not something that I really totally agree with how Jigsaw does it. The film had a bit of social commentary and it had a bit of special significance with the games that were being played. In this film, the killer is just simply just sickening i mean he's just really out here not giving anybody a chance to live and maybe that might be the point but it just feels to me that when it got to the points where the traps were being laid down 
I could see that the gore was definitely a big emphasis. And maybe because the film is being shot in 3D, maybe that's the selling point. But for me, there were some moments where I just kind of turned my head away from the screen and thought like, oh my God, they're really going a little bit too far with this. And it really gave a bad taste in my mouth. Another thing, Chris Rock, Chris Rock's not a dramatic guy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Chris Rock's wheelhouse is being a comedian. He's one of the greatest comedians of all time. So when you put this man and put him in dramatic scenes, it's just not going to pop the same way. And he doesn't make it easy. Like, there are some moments where he'll go and he'll start screaming and the screen will shake. And then, like, he just he just looks like he's trying so hard to be this, you know, depressed and just motivated detective to really find out. But it never really comes across as hard-hitting. You know, the psychological aspects are kind of weak. You know, you compare this to a seven. I mean, seven really just runs dust circles around this movie right here with, with psychological aspects. Um, the sound design is weak. There are times where people, where people will be screaming and then the echoes will continue on to the next scene and they won't stop until like a little bit afterwards. The visual design, the visual design is very dull. Um, I mean, this film is just not a good film to look at. Like I can understand if you take some stylistic approach with some of the elements of the story, but this film doesn't tend to do that. You can tell, definitely tell that the budget was limited. <laughs> I mean, um, Lionsgate definitely wasn't giving this film a lot to really work with. And could that have been a detriment to how this film turned out? Maybe it could have been. The way that the film unfolds itself, I'm going to agree with you. It, it ends so abruptly and it just ends like there was supposed to be something, some bigger message behind it. But this movie kind of fights against its own message with about how we need to like look at the police department and reform it and try to weed out the bad apples. But the way that they're weeding out the bad apples kind of defeats its own message. So for me, I was kind of jilted. I could see, I could already see that people were going to be like, yeah, 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 we need something like this done, which is, uh, which is like rough and sick to think about. And then I'm also thinking about like, I can understand that we need to do something about the police department, but this matter, I can't really get behind it. And once again, maybe that could be the point of the film, but it felt to me like it was gore for gore's sake. Samuel Jackson, I love him. That's my dude. Um, his act in this film, it feels like Samuel Jackson just being Samuel Jackson. Like it doesn't feel like a, a new, a different character or somebody that has a stake in the story. It just feels like Samuel just got put in here and they was like, hey, do you? And hopefully that can carry the film, but it doesn't. It kind of takes away some of the seriousness of what the story was trying to come to. I just think that there's nothing really new in this film if you already have seen any of the Saw films. And if you're expecting anything new or just improved, it's not going to happen. Yeah, I guess that's probably true, I would assume. I, you know, having not seen them, can't say for sure. But based on what you've said, it seems to me like there's nothing really new. The kicker for me was, like we talked about, with wanting characters put in these deadly traps to have something to do in this film. That's not the case. When they get put in the trap, they have two minutes. They get told what they did wrong. They have to make a yes or no choice. And then they deal with the, the gore that comes with, you know, the choice. There's not this long drawn out psychological moment where they have to wrestle with what they did. It is strictly punishment and and murder in a painful manner and because of that it definitely 
goes down a notch because you're just not able to care nearly as much about anybody that gets killed in this film. Like none of the characters matter except for maybe Chris Rock and his partner. Even his dad, he's not there long enough hardly for you to care about. You care about him because he's Samuel L. Jackson, not because he's Chris Rock's dad. That's the problem with him. Uh, I think that the voice changer software that they use for this particular killer is horrible. Every time it talks, I it doesn't fit with the film. It's not scary. It sounds like a high-pitched child or little girl of some sort. Like, it is utterly just out of place. And that seems to be the theme for me because Chris Rock is out of place in this film. He doesn't fit. He is not, like you said, he's not a dramatic actor. He is all over the spectrum in this movie. He At times, he, like, he yells a lot. And it's almost like he thinks that is going to make his character come off as angry and determined. And so if he just yells, then that'll get the point across versus having to actually act and portray these different emotional swings that his character might go through. It's not good. I mean, it's just not good. He he carries the film to the point where, like, it's hard to get behind him and have any sort of major investment because you're just looking at him as this guy that's like, Ugh, you're, you know, you don't feel like the detective that should be in this situation anyway. Nothing is right about this. So it, it was a miss. I mean, it was just a miss. And it was kind of what we all thought when we heard that he was cast in this movie. We were like, huh? Like, really? How's that going to work out? Well, it worked out exactly like we assumed it would work out, honestly. I mean, maybe he's slightly better than I first imagined. But, you know, he's not good. And the supporting characters, again, they don't get a chance to be good because they're the ones that are gone are gone so fast. They don't get any development whatsoever. And ultimately, it's that abrupt ending that just sunk me because I was like, I told you, I was really on board with the finale and sort of how it went down and what was going on and what the killer was trying to accomplish there in this final set piece. And then it just, the movie just ends. Like it just, there's no resolution. It just ends. And it's so clearly setting up another sequel. And, you know, there, we talk about this all the time, but there are ways to do that and there are ways not to do that. And this was a way not to do that. You could have finished your story and told this complete story all the way through to its conclusion and then also done something of a tease to set up a new film. But instead, they cut off the conclusion of this film and don't let you know exactly how it ends. And instead, leave that hanging. It's more like the end of a TV show episode than it is a movie. And that really, really bothered me. Because I was like, huh? Did I? I mean, I actually went through the credits. I was like, did I miss something? Are they going to come back and finish it at the end? Are they going to? Somebody's, this can't be the end, right? Like, they have to give me more. And they didn't. Um, so ultimately, you know, that was a big letdown for me, too. And also, I wanted to know that there is a scene in this film where Chris Rock ends up catching this guy. He's looking for the whereabouts of a person in this film. He catches this guy in his apartment, and this guy has a broken bone in his leg. Chris Rock, Chris Rock. Keep in mind, his character is a lead detective, and he's trying to figure out who's behind the killings of his fellow officers. He takes a moment to 
take his phone. He's like, hey, you want me to take a selfie? You want me to take a selfie? He takes a selfie with this guy while this guy's screaming in his own home with a broken leg. I was like, dude, you're supposed to be one of the good police officers, and you're doing the exact same things that these crooked police officers would probably be caught doing, and you would be chastising them for. So this movie even defeats the own purpose of his lead character. I mean, I don't know. This film just really just fights against itself. <laughs> yeah. I, I did not like that moment either. I had a real problem with that as far as like the character they were building with him too, because it felt yeah, like completely out of place. It was it was Chris Rock wanting to make a joke conflicted with Chris Rock trying to write an actual screenplay that's consistent and it and it, it did not pair well in any shape or form. So I'm guessing you're gonna say no thanks to this, that people should not see it. No thanks and see it at your own risk. <laughs> All right, well, this one will be out in theaters on May 14th. So, yeah, you got to pay to go see this one. I I would say probably not as well. I, I don't know if liked is the right word. This really falls in that two and a half star if I had one for me because I didn't hate it in the way that I thought I might. I'm going with a three on this one because I didn't hate it. I actually somewhat was okay with getting through it. It's 90 minutes. I should add it's a 90 tight 90 minutes like with credits it's probably actually like 85 minutes and it and it moves really fast <laughs> all the way to its abrupt ending but because of that i didn't ever feel like it lingered too much to kind of really wear me down and then i was done so by that token it was fine or okay i guess uh i also did not mention that the woman in the window will be streaming on netflix on may 14th as well so both of these films out may the 14th Woman in the Window, streaming on Netflix, we both would say generally worth a watch, probably, because it's free and at home. Spiral, in theaters on May 14th, you're saying absolutely not. I'm saying it's absolutely not worth a theater viewing and paying money for, but it's probably worth checking out once it comes to a streaming service that you're already paying for down the line. Well, that's it for us this week on FF+. Plus. We hope that you have found some interesting tidbits here that will help you make your decisions and we'd love to hear what you think if you do see these films whether you know maybe you'll dif disagree with us maybe you have a different opinion you can hit us up on twitter at feelin film or you can join the feelin film facebook discussion group there's always a link in the show notes and you can come and chat with all of our great members there about these films and anything else in the world of movies that you would like to talk about we will be back soon and until then keep feelin film Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter at FeelinFilm or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and I'd love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. But be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive and keep feeling film.